The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At school, I was shy, but when it came to performing, there was this other person that would just come out of me. And I remember we were doing a play, Scrooge, and the little boy that was supposed to play Scrooge couldn't get it right. And I was so upset. And I just stood up in class and said, I should be Scrooge. <laughs> and they said, but you're a girl. So it doesn't matter. It you doesn't know? matter. And then I started trying to direct him. And they were like, Angela, sit down. And I was like, this isn't fair. <laughs> so I guess that was the beginning of me having my voice. <laughs> Hi, this is Angela Gibbs. I'm so excited to be on this show. I am an actor and an acting coach. And I'm recently on a new show called Not Dead Yet on ABC. I'm excited to be here. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of Off the Beat. This is Brian Baumgartner, and this is me. Very, very excited. As you just heard, my guest today is. Angela Gibbs. Now, let me tell you something. I did not know Angela personally before speaking with her earlier today, but let me say this. She is why I do this podcast. Having conversations with her specifically and people like her, it's why I do this. I had so much fun today. I hope you hear that in the conversation and I learned so much. So fun and learning equals awesome. Angela 
despite being on ABC's new hit show, Not Dead Yet. She is very much alive and well, and she has been crushing the game for years. You might know her from, oh, Straight Outta Compton, Insecure, Black Jesus, or one of my favorite shows over the last couple of years, Hacks with Gene Smart. She is such a pro that she's also gone on to be an acting coach, a director, a theater artistic director. She's a producer. She has worked with everyone from Janelle Monet to Oscar winner and legendary director Alejandro Gonzalez in Yuritu. She's amazing. All right. I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed talking to her. She has great things to say about confidence, about network television, and and about finding the comedy out of drama. Here she is, my new friend, Angela Gibbs. Bubble and squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. Bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning Left over from the night before Hi, Angela. Hey, Brian. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I love that morning smile, or is it an afternoon smile? Where are you in New York? No, I'm in. Uh, I'm in California. Okay. You? All right, you're with me. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. I am such a big fan of yours, Angela. Thank you oh, so really? much. Oh my God, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to talk about as much as we can, I basically. See. Okay. But I uh, I do want to start back. Your career is so fascinating. When I was going through this research, I'm like, wait, she did what? She wait, with how? When did this? What? Birdman? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? Um, so I can't wait to get into it. You grew up in Detroit. Yes. Am I sir. right? That's right. During the time of Motown and. The Motor City was flourishing and it was a great, it was a great time to come up in Detroit. People talk about my city and I don't know why they give it such a bad rap, (laughs) (laughs) but it was such a, it was the neighborhood, Brian. You know, I could sit on my porch and name everybody up and down the street. It was, I did get a chance to feel that small town, even though it was Detroit kind of neighborhood. Um, community, if you will, growing up. And, and, uh, you know, if I was bad, the parent down the street spanked me. You know, back days they could do that. And then when I got home, I'd get another one. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we would pick cherries off of people's trees, you know, and and hide, you know. But anyway, it was a great childhood. It really was a great time to come up. I'll tell you about my story about the Montelettes and wanting to be a Supreme. That's another story. <laughs> well, but so music was a very big deal in, Absolutely. in Detroit at that time. It was for you as well. Absolutely. We all wanted to be. Well, let me say this. I grew up next door to the mother of Levi Stubbs. Now, Levi Stubbs was the leader of the Four Tops. Yes. And I didn't know this, but his brother was the leader of the Contours, Joe Stubbs. And recent, and so I grew up, so since that was the mother, i.e. grandmother of his kids, 
his kids were over there all the time. So I grew up with with Levi's kids, right? And we had a ball. We always wanted to sing. You know, there was the, what do you call it? The Motown Review. Right. So we started this group called <laughs> the Montelettes. <laughs> and my mother, you know, wasn't on TV, any of that. She worked for the airlines. She was our manager. Now, she got it a little twisted. We wanted to be R&B singers. She had us singing tall and tan and young. And she had us singing all the stuff she wanted us to sing. Frank Sinatra. Right. Oh, my God. Anyway, we were short-lived. But we did go to, we did a couple of, um, what was it back then? The YWCA. And we never made it to the Motown. Let's just say that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they had street parties. You know how they block off the street and all the neighbors would cook and we'd have music and, and I would sing there. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I love that. And so was that, that was your earliest performing. Yes, earliest performance. That's right. And then I went to Catholic school. I went to St. Gregory's. It's gone now. But in St. Gregory's, they had drama. And Brian, you know, I had no idea because basically, believe it or not, even though I was a tomboy and, you know, the oldest of two, two brothers. And so kind of the leader that, that at school, I was shy. But when it came to performing, there was this other person that would just come out of me. And I remember we were doing a play Scrooge and um, the little boy that was supposed to play Scrooge couldn't get it right. And I was so upset. And I just stood up in class and said, I should be Scrooge. <laughs> and they said, but you're a girl. It doesn't matter. It you doesn't know? matter. And then I started trying to direct him and they were like, Angela, sit down. And I was like, this isn't fair. <laughs> So I guess that was the beginning of me having my voice. <laughs> yes. I didn't get to play Scrooge. All right. But that's okay. Later down the line, I began acting. But I started acting then. And I was in like, I want to say fifth grade. You know, so they'd have little recitals. I would play music. Nothing, no big deals, really. You know, but that was kind of like the beginning. Your mom was an actress. Yes. Yes. Your mom was Marla Gibbs. Spoiler alert. Is Marla Gibbs. Is Marla Gibbs. She's still around, honey. (laughs) Your mom is Marla Gibbs. Yes, I know she still is. I just (laughs) went back into her bio as well, talking to you. I mean, we're not going to make this about your mom, by the way, okay? That's okay, though. I'm not going to do that. But let me just say this. (laughs) But I don't mind. When I think about my childhood, I think about... Those shows that were, because I was still young when the Mm -hmm. Jeffersons was on, and no joke, I believe that your mom was the first person for me, looking back, where I went, oh, she is funny. Yeah, okay. She is, like, there was something about her and her performance that I just loved her. Lo- like with a passion, I love. Do you think her. it was, um, you know, one of the things that we kind of picked up early on was my mother was the domestic who inhabited everyone's aunt or right. grandma. Like there was somebody in the family that, as the kids say, now clap back, you right. know. 
And there was something about her clapping back at her boss that made her kind of like everyone's person, you know? Yes. And, and, and I only asked that because even though she wasn't a real maid, there was a group of people nationally called um, National Something of Household Technicians. And these were maids and butlers, et cetera, and they honored her. Right. So there was something about her humanity and the way she dealt with that boss of hers who was hysterical yes. and obnoxious and all of that. I wonder if that's what it was, that she just kind of spoke her mind and she bumped up against the establishment, if you will. I just yes. wondered. Yeah. No, I think I think that that is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But I also think her there was something about her. I mean, there was Isabella Sanford and uh, all of they were all so great. Yes. But all playing this very traditional sitcom style and yet she took her time. <laughs> she took her time. She would take those pauses. Yes. And she would deliver things in an unexpected way not this traditional way and for me i think just in terms of comedy yeah i I like i appreciated that as a performer listen i've been marla's daughter sometimes painfully all my you know like get out the way we want your mom or marla jr or they will introduce everyone by name when they get to me they're like oh that's marla's daughter so so there's been that but there's also this other side that i'm very very proud of and proud of being her daughter and so i want to just share this when you talk about her style was different when she was doing that role brian she was brand new right she'd been enacting only a few years and but she was in her 40s also raised three kids we had a great escape from my stepfather, who was at that time, you know, it, it was a crazy marriage. And she gathered us up. And when he went to work, we took off and came to L.A., right? So wow. she was fierce and bold and brave in that way. And she took that kind of fierceness. And being a grown woman, because she's like 44, she just looked young for her age. When she went into that, she still worked at United Airlines. So she had a backup. She had a job. She was bold. And they loved her. You know, she had that line, how come we overcame? And nobody told me. And that was the line. And everyone, I was there for that delivery. And the audience, they had to hold for like five minutes. And the word is, the producer said, who is that? Because they had already contracted a maid. There was already someone who was supposed to play that role. Okay. She was only a guest star, right? She was supposed to say that line and then... Louise's, the story was that Louise's friend, who was a maid, was going to become the maid, right? But they loved my mother so much. So now she's getting a couple of shows. I think she maybe had six or seven. And the first one, she sits at the table. They do the table read. And then all the actors are supposed to get up. And she sits there. And Norman and the producers, they're like, this little black woman sitting at the table. They don't want to hurt her feelings and tell her to get up. They're figuring... She'll get the hint. So they start talking to each other. They're not looking at her. And the actors are like, you know, come on, come on, like get up, right? Right. We don't tell them. They tell us. We get up. And she's like, yeah, but I don't know what they're saying. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what they're talking about. I don't want to know what they're talking about, right? (laughs) So she says. And then she starts interrupting. She's like, wait, can, excuse me, can I say something? <laughs> and they're like, 
okay, you know, we're going to pacify this woman. And she said, black people don't talk like that. <laughs> and they said, oh, okay. Well, what would you say, right? And she said, we have our own rhythm. Every culture, Hispanics have their rhythm. Jewish culture has their rhythm. We have our rhythm. We throw stuff away, you know? And they said, well, how would you say it? And Brian, and then I'll, you know, leave, leave it on the table. Brian, they listened to her. They were smart enough to listen. And they started moving those lines around so they fit in her mouth. Right. And she started a culture because after that, they let all the actors sit at the table, after the table read and discuss their lines. So even back then, trailblazer, you know? That's so, awesome. all right, enough about mama. Or no, wanna, that's, you know. <laughs> that's awesome. But that, that has to help make up who you are. Oh, without a doubt. And yeah. your entree, if you will, you know, in, into the business. So yes, yes. she's working and it sounds like not too far after you start working. Well, here's the funny story that people are just starting to realize. I actually started acting first. First. Okay. I My wondered mother, about that. Yeah. I, yeah. We, well, we came out here. I got into drama in high school. Miss Asimov, I'll never forget her at LA High. Miss Asimov was my girl, right? And and I, you know, I excelled in that class. Me and this other student became the people that they would say, "I need an example." Angela, get up and show them what I'm talking about. So I had some confidence there. And my mother found a workshop called PASLA, uh, and it stood for Performing Arts Society of Los Angeles on Vermont and Manchester. Okay. And there, and Roger Mosley was there at the time. And so we, and he was getting started. So he, he was a little beyond us in terms of summer credits. But anyway, it didn't cost anything. You know, they were, they were you know, funneling a lot of money into Watts because of the rides. And they were trying to do some enhancement and artistic kind of endeavors to make sure that that community had something. And so we benefited from that. And, and then from, so I was in school acting, but I'm in this workshop. And then I go to Fairfax High. I get in their drama department and then I get an agent, right? Roger Mosley sent Max Julian, who recently passed. I don't know if you remember Max Julian. He was the Mac back yeah. in the day. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. He a film called Cleopatra Jones. That's and right. he wanted his woman at the time, Benetta McGee, to play it. But the studios wanted the tall uh, Tamara Dobson. But they gave him some perks. And one of them was he could cast a couple smaller roles. So Roger told him, come out and see this young girl. Uh, she's in this play. We made up the play and it was me. And I was playing Angela Davis and he just fell in love. And I reminded him of a younger version of Vanetta <laughs> McGee. And honey, Brian, I'm working at a boutique, right? And I come from lunch and my boss says, Warner Brothers just called. I don't know how they got my number. Warner <laughs> Brothers just called. And you got a part in the movie. And I'm like, quit playing. You know, and she's like, right. no, I'm serious. I'm serious. Call this number. And um, I called and they asked me to come out. They told me, you've already got the role. We just want to meet you. Max Julian wants you. I got in the union. Roger Mosley gave me his agent. Unbelievable. It was Yes, it was, you know, one of those kind of like, uh, yeah, and it was 70 or 71. And that's when I got my sad card. My mother starts teasing me because she's like her and her friends, they were still like trying to get on the lot, knocking on doors. <laughs> and I had a dressing room. <laughs> I'm like, oh, 
come by and visit me in my dressing room, right? Oh, but that's awesome. I, I was very political. I was a hippie slash revolutionary. Remember, my name is Angela. They were looking for Angela Davis. You know, I thought right. I, it was <laughs> it was on me to carry on, you know? <laughs> and so I went to Africa, changed my name to Utamu. Don't tease me. And, you Utamu? know. Utamu? It was Utamu, yes. <laughs> and Why? I, why? Wait, I can't, I'm not, I can't just let it go. I'm, oh, come on now. <laughs> what, what, why? Well, what? you know what? Back then. Does that mean about, something? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, here's. Okay. This is where it gets worse. The story starts to go downhill because my name was Utamu and that was, you know, taking on my African culture and heritage. And I wanted a new name to kind of, you know, uh, express my connection to Africa. The problem was the friend who gave me the name. <sighs> The problem was this. <laughs> People would say, oh, Utamu, what does that mean? Right. And I said, sweetness. sweetness. Can you imagine I'm a young woman, not bad looking. <laughs> the guys are like, yeah, I bet you are. I'm like, this has nothing to do with the revolution. I want a new name. <laughs> So my son teases me. I got a name change to Ioka, and then they okay. call me Ioka for a while. That meant light. She comes with light. Okay. Turns out my middle name, Elaine, means the same thing. So I eventually <laughs> just trapped it off. Even my mother knew what she was doing, because I came from Africa, and I said, my name is Utamo. And she said, I named you Angela. I said, well, I'm not answering to anything but Utamo, and I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> my mother says she has lost her mind, but I digress. I digress. So I came back and back then there weren't a lot of roles that we could play right. as black women. So I decided to go away to college and she teases me because she's still knocking down doors. I've worked with John Forsythe. I've had a pilot. I've had some things. I've been on Sanford and son. I've done the film yes. and I left. I left, you know, and I I, I, I kind of look back now. I used to regret it. I used to think it was a mistake because when I came back, my mother was Florence. <laughs> but I like, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have stayed in L.A. <laughs> but I'm glad because I wanted to have a purpose, even as a young woman. I wanted my life to matter. I wanted to be involved in things that made a difference in the community. And end up coming back and opening up a theater. So it was meant to be. Now, Ryan, I didn't know it was going to take me this long. <laughs> I mean, man, did it take a long you, time? <laughs> you you wanted to take a short break, and it yeah. ended up being a little bit longer little than bit you would like it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you know, Shirley Ralph, she's singing my song when she said, "Don't give up." You know, my saying right. is, "If you stay in line, your turn will come." So when I came back, I realized I loved this so much that, hey, whether I make it or not, and you know, make it meaning, whether I make a living at it or not, I, I got to keep acting. And I think when I finally got there, things started to change, you know. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> <laughs> The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen Nicotine Pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. 
Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at zyn.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You founded a theater when you returned. I did. I because did. you had fallen in love with theater? Yeah, I did. I loved theater. You know, okay. I started with theater. Me too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It, theater is, it is, it's the, it's the best. And it's a great training ground because it's intimate. It's right in the moment. If you make a mistake, you've got to figure it out. You know, right. it's, and I, I want to do theater now, Brian. I'm just trying to figure it out because now with TV and all of that, and uh, you know, it's such an LA thing. But I, you know, you make good money when you're doing TV. <laughs> wait, <laughs> and wait, what? I, you make more money doing television than you do theater? <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> but right. holy, holy moly, yes, indeed. And so, you know, it's like it's hard because when you do a play, you want to commit. And you want to commit to your cast members and you don't want to just pull out. And, you know, it's it's hard, but I am going to figure out a way. I'm in a class right now. That's one of the things I do is I stay in a class, even though I coach actors, too. It just keeps me out of my own bubble and keeps me on the edge of my craft. But it's there's just nothing like theater. And I did theater, you know, in, in school, came back out. And the thing about going to an HBCU, going to Howard University, mm-hmm. is they challenge you. What are you going to do? What are you going to bring, you know, back to your community? How are you going to make a difference? And my thought was what I do is theater and act. So maybe I can take that back 
ironically, my mother had a building. By this time, she's on TV. She had a building that was a print shop right down the street, literally two blocks from where we started on Vermont and Manchester. So I turned that building into a theater little by little, you know, and it was called Crossroads. Interesting enough, I would find out later as I started learning how to write grants and things like that, that there was some kind of collective consciousness and a movement going on because right at that same time, there was a theater that was being founded in New Jersey called Crossroads, the okay. Black Theater. There was a theater in, in uh, St. Louis called St. Louis Black Prep. And it was a theater in Atlanta called Jamondi. So we, when we all met, we realized we were all picking up that signal from that consciousness of it's time to have a theater in the community, right? And we yeah. all kind of became friends. I remember Jumandi. I'm from Atlanta. I rem- oh! I rem- yeah, so I, I remember that. Let me ask you this. Do you do you feel like historic black colleges that there is more of an emphasis there preparing you for when you leave to do something in and for your community? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I still am listen, I went to NYU to their boot camp for film, AFI, American Film Institute. You know, I studied some at at UCLA as well. I didn't finish college, so I had a B.A., B.Y. <laughs> He's 45 now instead of a B.A. <laughs> and so I went back and finished later at Antioch. And I named these other universities because what I absolutely did learn and see is that there's more resources in these, other, in these larger colleges, more resources. However, and I don't know so much now, but especially back then, you can feel like a number as an African-American, especially back then as a female, a black female, because you're kind of being overlooked. There's this idea that science, math, you're not really ever going to really excel in that. So you feel like a number. But when you go to a HBCU first, and kind of my deal is like, go there first, get grounded, you know, find out who you are and get a real sense of community and what you want to do and that your life will matter and then transfer to one mm. of the larger colleges because then you're putting strong. No one can tell you that you're no one, you know, can make you feel inferior without your consent. Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, <laughs> I love that <laughs> saying. Um, and then you can, you know, there's more resources available and things like that. Um, but yes, you know, and I literally was asked by professors, you know, what are you going to do? You know, that, and I think it comes from just that whole idea of segregation and not being able to go to the white schools and, you know, us becoming teachers and knowing that the only way we were going to survive as a race was to make sure that we were educated Mm. and that we had community organizations, that we had, you know, ways for our youth to express themselves where they saw their value. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yes. I think we're prepared well to make a difference. So you found this theater or you become the founder of this theater crossroads. And when, when do you start doing coaching? Coaching came way after, you know, coaching is something I didn't want to do. I was because, you know, and, and let me say this, I founded it with my mother. She was a co-founder. She was on TV and she was hope, opening a jazz supper club. And okay. she said, <laughs> I don't want to open the theater right now. And I'm like, I do. 
and I need your money. <laughs> and she's like, I don't, I don't want to do that right now. And so she calls me the great manipulator because I said, well, just give me a little money for a dance floor. Well, just give me a little money for some theater seats. I just get, you know, and I and, and I would put her name on the press release. And she's like, why is my name on the press release? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> Marla Gibbs, the feisty maid, Florence of the Jeffersons is opening the school. And she's like, stop that. <laughs> but, you know, she did say, you know, you keep that up and people are not going to know what you're doing. They're going to give me all the credit, which is what happened. And it's okay because those that know, know. The Regina Kings, for instance, Regina was in the play 227. It was a play first. And I, yeah, and I talked my mother into doing it and she was so busy, she did not want to do it. And and I get it because she was doing the Jefferson. She was opening the nightclub, which was very popular for a time. And once again, mama, (laughs) you just got to be in it for a couple weeks, you know? (laughs) And it became a hit. Norman Lear heard about it. Brandon Tartikoff was alive. He heard about it. And, you know, the story goes on. They came, bought it. My mother became EP. And, you know, but I ran into Regina years later and she said, you were 25 years old with a baby on your hip. I had a little boy and I was a single mom and, you know, he grew up in the theater. Right. But it was a play first. Nia Long was also an understudy and she alternated, I should say, with Regina. And then we, we started some careers from that play. Right. But yeah. yes, 227, a uh, groundbreaking television show for which you are the recipient of an NAACP Image Award. That's right. That's uh, right. That's for right. producing that. That's yeah. uh, that's amazing. I did yeah. not know that. I yeah. did not know that started as a play. It started as a play. And it was it was really funny because originally it ta- it was written by Kristen Houston, a Chicagoan, and it takes place on the stoop. And it's two people, my mother and it really originally it was Elena, but you know, in the in the cast it was another woman. And they sit on the stoop and play numbers. <laughs> They play the numbers, and right. my mother talks about everybody in the building. I mean, right. she had one woman, she said, look at her, dress so, she said, a skirt so tight, a soft fart would blow a hole through it. I mean, she <laughs> was mean. She was bad, right? And um, it was funny, but when when it got to television, she wanted to clean it up a bit, right? And I brought that up to say, I worked with so many actors as a young producer, Remember, I'm 25. I've got these grown ass actors. Excuse my language, but no. and, and they're just they're running me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I need this, and my character needs Chanel, and I need. And I would sit sometimes upstairs with my partner Shay Wafer. I had a girlfriend I went to Howard with, and she went on to go to Yale and get a master's in theater management. So she's she's actually running Waco, which is. Um, Beyonce's mom, Tina Knowles and Richard Lawson's theater. But she ran a lot of theaters over the years, but we started together. Anyway, we would sit upstairs. You know, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. We we had, you know, concessions during intermission and we had these little bottles of white wine. We We took a couple of those, Brian, and we would sit upstairs and cry. Like, nobody listens to us. (laughs) We, We were good. We were young. We were good. But we just, you know, we were worn out. So I knew I did not want to deal with actors. I didn't think I had the, I was, I felt like I was too much of a people pleaser and I would not, you know, be a good coach, but it turned out it was actually my lane. You know, how long did crossroads last? About almost 10 years. 
10 years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My mother bought a theater in Lamert Park called Park called the Vision Theater. And she was one we we housed Crossroads in there, but there was so much. Whew, there was so much in terms of keeping that huge building and facility afloat that Crossroads kind of got lost. And I, after 10 years, and you know, a lot of that's a lot of time and time. being a mom, I started having other interests, and one of them was film. And I got invited to go to, I just started I would just give it a shot. And uh, actually, Richard Lawson, a friend of mine, he said, asked me if I really wanted it, I would go for it. And I applied and I couldn't believe it. I kept saying, Angela Gibbs, did they mean dibs? Did they mean Angela Bibbs? Like, they let me in, right? <laughs> but I had gone to uh, NYU's boot camp and um, had, you know, gotten bit by the bug. So I got there. And that's when things started changing for me. And then Crossroads eventually, it died along with the vision. You know, my mother put a lot of money in the community, but lost a lot. You know, just, I guess it just wasn't the time. You know, now there's a lot of people over in the Merck Park trying to resurrect her vision. They get it now, you know. Right, but, right. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, being there, kind of, I pivoted in a way where I had more confidence uh, and I told my agent, you know, I want to maybe be a line reader while I just run lines with actors. And they said, well, what about coaching? And I'm like, nah, I'll just run lines. And I took a class with a woman named Judith Weston. She's amazing. She's got great books out. She's, you know, coaches the likes of Laura Dern and Matthew McConaughey. And she worked with, she coaches directors and she worked with Alejandro on Babel and 21 Grams. And it just okay. so happened, out of all the students she's had, she calls me one day. And I wasn't even in her class anymore. And she said, I, do you know who Alejandro Inarichu is? Now, of course I did, because at, at, at AFI, you study everyone. Right. And I loved his film. So it could have been any A-list director, Brian, but the fact that it was Alejandro, it felt like it was the universe, right? Right. And um, she said, he's doing a new movie. It's going to be revolutionary and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, no no cuts. And he's working with Michael Keaton and he needs somebody to help him. And at this point, I have my phone, you know, and I'm like, you know, like, who is this? Who, who's that? Like, quit playing, you know? And I'm like, are you serious? She said, yeah. She said, yeah. She said, I'm not just doing you a favor. I'm doing them one as well. She said, you're talented and you need to be doing this. So that afternoon, well, then right after that, I'm on the phone with Alejandro. Can't believe it. And I just love his passion. And he had this movie called Birdman. He's explaining it to me. And he wants me to meet Michael, you know, go to meet Michael, you know. And I go out there and Michael, can I say, mm -mm -mm. I ran into him recently at Grandparents Day at my grandson's school. Oh. He's got a grandson there as well. We just hugged. Michael Keaton has got to be one of the most generous human beings. I've met beyond the fact that he's so freaking talented, right? And when I met him, I, I just remember, I called a girlfriend on the way to his house, like, what is happening right now? You know? <laughs> and I'm looking at the ocean and the ocean, because, you know, I'm out towards Santa Monica and I'm looking at the ocean, which always gives me peace. It's kind of feels yes. like that's the space, you know, where God is, if you will. And she said, honey, you wouldn't be in that car. If God didn't want you in that car, you're right where you're supposed to be. And I said, okay. And I decided to go and not pretend to be anything other than 
who I was and where I was, right? And I meet I him. Love that. Yeah, man. You know, it's like it's like knowing you're enough. Just knowing you're enough, right? And if it's yours, it's yours. If it's not, it's not. I don't need to pretend. And when I met Michael, I was like, hey, you know, let me just say, I love your work, which I did. And when I told my mother I was going out there, did you tell him he's your favorite Batman? I'm like, mom, I'm not going to have that conversation. <laughs> but he was my favorite Batman. Um, just, but um, she, I just loved his work. <sighs> and so um, I just said, your credits wrap around mine about hundred times, <laughs> you know, so I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but I love to ask questions. I love to dig the work I do with Judith. Judith Weston um, has, you know, I think has a lot of value. And he said, Hey, I love that. So we ended up just chatting and we're about the same age. And when I leave him, Alejandro calls within five minutes. I wonder, was there like a camera in there like how did he know you know <laughs> and i left just he says oh what does he say you know and i'm like uh you'll have to call him the next phone call i get is we want to book a ticket for you to come to new york now michael could have said hey there's a coach i work with already sure you know um anything he said bring her to la i mean to new york i like her right so i don't say so much even though i have credit for coaching and he told me the other day, he said, I still use some of the things you, you know, we talked about and you showed me, which amazing. But I walked the walk with him because there was so much that Alejandro had going on. And there yes. was this kind of nonstop camera movement, you know, that if the camera was here on one scene, by the time it got to Michael, he had to be ready. And then it would go off to him, say to Zach Galifianakis, and then it would go right back to him. And so it was just running lines, running lines, walking and running them, talking about it, talking about subtext, what was really happening underneath the scene. And and then Michael taught me some things. Of course, you know, it was just a beautiful exchange. And then of course, from there, all bets were off. Suddenly my coach, and I had started coaching prior to that. My agents would sure. send me people. So I was coaching people and then managers would hear and they would send me people. Then actors would tell their friends. So, <laughs> so I was already doing it, but this made me, made my status just rise. And after that, um, they were like, you know, she coached my, you know, she, you know, so I'm getting, <laughs> now I'm getting, so then I became, <laughs> and then he asked me to coach my, uh, Alejandro came back and asked me to coach on the revenue. And sent me around the country and to Canada to meet uh, Native Americans that he'd seen their tape. And he trusted me. It just blew my mind. He He said, I want you to tell me what you think. Tell me if you think they can do this role. And there is nothing like looking at Alejandro and him saying, can they do it? And I'm going, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm praying, hands, hands claps together in prayer. Yes, yes, they can do it. But you know, it, it's... I'll say this, Brian, I feel like, I feel like the gift I, I hear I have, people tell me all the time, you got this gift. Because it took me so long to kind of resurrect my career and because my mother was a star and people would kind of push me aside, I had a real struggle with confidence. And a lot of times this game is about confidence and knowing you are enough. I mean, it's, it's about, that's life's game, to be honest with you, you know? Yes. And uh, in acting, it's, this, you know, I should have studied a little more or, you know, if I had more roles, I would be, you know, there's always some reason why we're not ready. But if the role comes to you, perhaps, and you get the role, perhaps you are ready. You just, it's like that car ride to, to meet Michael. 
with Michael, he hadn't done stuff in a little bit. And it was just really about running it and just remembering how, how good he was, right? And, uh, oh, you know, the first rehearsal, he killed it. Killed it just in rehearsal. You know, Alejandro was so happy. Um, the same thing with with um, the Revenant. I worked with people who had never acted before, and it was right. a, but but they had lived a life, and that life informed the character. And I learned that also from my mother. She hadn't been acting that long, but she'd been around maids. Her aunt was a maid. You know what I mean? She knew right. who that was, and so it was about trusting yourself enough to allow that expression. And part of your humanity is, is there, too, to come through and not edit, right. you know. So, you know, you can't be on the outside of yourself looking and wondering, are you good while you're in it? You got to be in it, you know. So um, Revenant, then I got the reputation of um, coaching newcomers. So then I coached the young man who played Tupac. And man, I mean, they came for us like, who's playing Tupac? He bet not mess up. We love Tupac. You bet. And they didn't say mess up. They said that other word. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> we love to, but don't you F up. And I'm like, oh, Lord, right? right? Jesus. It occurs to me, you know, we just had the Oscars a few nights ago. Brendan Fraser winning after, you know, a period of time not working with a, a beautiful performance. And not that Michael was exactly the same way, but he had he had had some time. Right, and was right. was duly celebrated for his unbelievable performance Ooh, in Birdman. Yes, yes. What is that feeling like for you when you see him being recognized for that work? It is, ah, uh, you know, I think to be honest with you, it's what gave me the confidence to stay with it. I it it, war- it warms my heart to the point of tears. When I saw him, I teared up without question. Yeah. It was it was my win as well, you know. And yeah. and and he let me know that Michael's so generous and sweet. He let me know. He said, "This is you, you know. You I couldn't have done this without you, you know." Alejandro, he reached out and said, "He put the heart in this film." So to get that kind of feedback as a confirmation uh, is wonderful. However, just within my own heart, it was my celebration as well. I love seeing people win, and I love seeing actors win, and and it's kind of like my story, if you will. You yes. know. Mm-hmm. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Not only did Zen create the first ever nicotine pouch, we're still America's number one choice for smoke-free, spit-free nicotine satisfaction. It could be because Zen is made with only six simple ingredients, including naturally derived nicotine salt. Or maybe it's because Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day trial. For anyone worried Zen won't cut it like traditional tobacco, just ask one of the millions of people who have achieved lasting change. You have lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zin. Find your Zin online or in a store near you at zincom find. That's zyn.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You're an artistic director, you're a director, you're an acting coach, you're an actor. <laughs> you, I mean, you you go truly everywhere. You've been in some amazing projects, but because I'm taking up your entire day, unfortunately, I can't <laughs> go into them as much as I had anticipated, but Black Jesus, really fun. I love that role. I love I, that role. Really, really fun. Uh, straight out of Compton as well. So it's not just comedies. Here in the Gibbs right. family, real, real serious and important work as well. Right. You're a coach, so I'll ask you one, do you have a preference, dramatic roles or comedic roles? And do you feel like there's a difference in approach for you? This is Ooh. a little bit of a loaded question because I, I have an opinion myself. So, but you're the expert. So, Brian, you have just, woo. Let me, I'll give you, give me a day. I'm going to come back. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> such a great question. Well, and you know, I'm on a comedy now, not dead yet. And the creators of that show come from the This Is Us world. And I did do a role on This Is Us while yes, I played Dylan K. Brown's mother. I, whoo, I gravitate towards drama. As a performer or as a viewer or what do you mean? As a performer. Okay. I gravitate more towards drama. I love, I think that's why Alejandro and I got along so well. I'm not afraid of the dark. I love the resilience that we find in the dark. I love the light that's always there somewhere in the dark. And I love it when I see someone find it, you know, um, and resurrect, if you will, themselves. Comedy, and I'm lucky that I have a role that. And I bring up bring up you know uh, David Windsor and and Casey Johnson because you know they're they're the this is us you know they come from that family because they have found a way to put heart in this comedy and so for me the answer is when it's blended 
it's it's perfect. I don't like real silly over the top. I'll watch it and I'll laugh and it depends on how good it is. You know, sometimes I just it's just too corny or too forced. I love the comedy that comes out of drama or the comedy that comes out of something authentic and real that's organic, right? That is that's the laugh out loud. You know, I'll give you a moment. You know, what was that movie? Still Magnolias. And Sally Field is having this moment where she's just crying and crying because her daughter has been buried. And in yes. the middle of, oh, I just want to hit somebody, you know, uh, um, she's giving um, <laughs> Shirley McLean, hit, hit her. Right. And I have never laughed so hard in my life, you know. But right. uh, so I love those kind of twists and turns. However, um, when you said, is, is there a difference in approach? As an actor. I... I don't think so. I don't either. I don't think so. I don't, I don't either. It's about approaching and creating the character as written, regardless of what genre or style is. Now style plays into it. Genre plays into it. The choices that you make are maybe a little bigger or smaller or you know what the timing or faster or slower the timing becomes different depending on what that is right but yeah no i agree it's about it's about ultimately it's about the material and the choices that you you make that's right that's right i still got to do a bio and, and research on my character i still need to know what the subtext is what i want what the scene is about and then if it's honest, I think the thing that was so funny about my mother was she was honest. Yes. You know, and you could see it actually happening, you know. True. Um, otherwise, you start playing for laughs. And then those are the ones that are not that funny. Yeah. No, know? I know. Yes, I know. <laughs> I've read I've read quite a few. And I'll say this real quick. People tell me, um, I mean to cut you off, but just real no. people tell me I'm funny all the time. And I don't see it. Well, but you are. Funny. I don't want to mess with it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't. But I don't want to mess with it. Well, Whatever don't mess. Don't you know? don't mess with it. You're you're making my transition <laughs> even better here. You gravitate toward the dark. You don't think you're funny. Let me tell you, <laughs> hacks. Uh, the show. You play Marcus's mom. Yeah. In hacks with that nut, Lunell. By the way. Yes, I. Let me tell you, I, I, I really enjoyed that show. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I really enjoy that show, your performance. Thank How you. How did that show come about? It's funny because Lunell and I were together in Think Like a Man, one and two. That's how we met. And then we did Black Jesus together. I get to okay. jump on her as, in Black Jesus. Yeah. And, and, and she's like, I don't know how my fans are going to feel about getting hit. And then she said, well, I'm getting hit by Miss Tootie, so I guess it's okay. <laughs> I love Miss Tootie. And then I used to say, are they going to like me? They're like, oh, they're going to love you. And so here, here comes Hacks, and we're together again. Okay, so there's something about the universe keeps putting us together. But, you know, I just auditioned for it, and then it was quiet. I didn't know I had it. And then I get a call from my agent. Remember that audition you did? You know, and here comes the show, and they want you. And I was overjoyed. And, of course, Gene Smart 
is a freaking master class. That woman right there. Yeah. And um, but I didn't know how big this show was going to be, you know. And then, you know, Marcus Carl is he's an amazing talent. You know, he was in Hamilton and he's done so much. But playing his mother, the immediate connection between myself, Marcus, and Lunell. Lunell and I already kind of we've become friends. It was just golden just golden and we we fed off of each other and and um paul and lucia and jen they loved us and, and lucia and they loved us and they're like we're bringing you back so i'm doing the third season now oh congratulations thank you that thank is amazing you. all these nominations emmy nominations and wins i'm so proud yes you know i'm struck by your character there that is very clearly a comedic character and okay, okay. is is very funny yet there was a moment there in the second season where Marcus is going through something very real very yeah. difficult yeah and you see it yeah and you drop into that place and have a really beautiful scene between the two of you that's there. where i kiss him on the head yeah, yeah. oh it's so it, yeah mm. where there's you know, that kiss just came it, well, i didn't know he was going to put his head on my shoulder but i just like my big baby uh-huh uh -huh. what do you think the show says about women specifically in the industry who are at i guess either end the the end and 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 the beginning you know, I, I, this month, Brian, I, what I love is that, you know, women, we've been pushing for our voices to be heard for a while now. You know, we've got ageism, you know, and, and, and gender identity and, 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 you know, uh, of course, you know, Black Lives Matter and, and these types of things. And in the midst of, of this is also the idea of women's agency, right? Yes. And that, and ageism is real. You know, they're ready to put us away after a certain age, but we're still vital and valuable. And, and even in our families, we're matriarchs. People come to us. In my own life, I have a lot of young people, male and female, because even with my coaching clients who become, you know, like, can I just talk to you? My son, his friends call me mom. So to not show that, to not honor that on screen, there's a huge piece of our story missing. So what I love is that in Hacks, we're dealing with multi-generational relationships. Yep. You've got Jean's character who is supposed to be washed up and it's time for her to go out to pasture. And then you have this young writer who's messed up and needs help, you know, and they inform each other. Their exchange is beautiful and it's real and there's nothing forced about it. It's authentic. And when they have, I mean, they're funny because they, they're both can be at each other's throats, you know, and you know, younger people, when we're young, we think we know it all. We do, you right. know, and you can't tell me anything. And then we mess up. And then that older person is there to say, well, in Jean's case, I told you, <laughs> but, <laughs> but then she's also there for the hug. And so I, I'm really happy to see more of this. And I think all of it also is happening, Brian, because more women writers and older women writers are being invited to the table. You know, like this one show that I love, you know, Jane Fonda and that and that crazy Lily Tomlin, you know, yeah. uh, I love that show. And I was so proud to see it being produced, you know. So we're seeing more of that now. You know, it was kind of like the Golden Girls back in the day. It was cute. Right. 
we need more of that now. And I'm starting to see it. So I think it's important. And I think what it says about women is that we're here and we're here to stay. And our stories are valuable and funny. And there's an audience, definitely an audience. Oh, absolutely. Not Dead Yet came out. I read that it is ABC's most watched comedy debut in over four years. There you go. (laughs) I heard network television was dead, but no, it is not. It is alive and thriving. (laughs) It is not dead yet. God, you made the pun better than I did. I know I had Um, to do it. (laughs) Did you think it was going to be a big hit? I was hoping, first of all, Gina Rodriguez, you know, she's coming from Jane the Virgin and so many other things. She's a boss and she's just a a spitfire. She really is so talented. And then, you know, we've got Lauren Ash and, and, you know, from she's hysterical from Superstore and Hannah, you know, just everyone on that show has a history. And then, of course, I think with Casey and with David and Dean Holland, good team, good team. You know, Mary Viola's also and Corey Marsh, they fought for this show. So when I looked at the team and looked at their background, I'm like, they all have got a great history. So I was praying. I can't say that I knew it for sure, but I thought it had a great chance to be a big hit. So uh, it's exciting. And this is my first network series. So it's a dream come true for me. How did you become a part of it? Did you just audition? I auditioned and they probably knew my work from This Is Us. I've auditioned and they loved it. And I got to tell you, they made a, an, a they, they, you know, David and, and Casey were talking about this. They said that I was the first one hired. And I guess really? because at that time, some some players were moving around. But little did I know they had already auditioned me. And so they kind of had me on hold. And I didn't know if I had it or not, but they said, you were the first one hired. And when we saw you, there was never a question that there was, we wanted to even see anyone else. I was like, oh my, that's a great story. So I auditioned and then it was quiet. And then they asked to see me again. But this time they wanted uh, me to read with Gina. We did a chemistry read. Gina and I connected immediately. It was over Zoom. And then the next thing I know, I had an offer, you know, and it's, it's, I'll say this out of all the, you know, shows I've done and all the, you know, shows I've lost, this was probably one of the smoothest transitions into a show ever. So when it's your time, honey, it is your time. You know what I mean? I love that. Well, you're working with one of my old pals, Dean Holland, uh, Ah. worked with me on the office for so many years. <laughs> and I love you. And I get to say it now. Can I just tell you <laughs> how much I love you? How oh. much I love you. Uh, oh, stop. Keep I, going. Keep, stop. Yeah, no, stop, stop it some more. <laughs> no. Yeah. I love him. I'm so happy for, for his and now your success. Yeah. So playing cricket, free spirited, talk to me about your process as is you're coaching yourself yes. getting ready right. to play her. How how do you go about approaching getting prepared on a, on a week by week basis for her? So I did it. I did it. And I got coached because I, as a coach, I like to just step outside of my bubble, as I said, and here's somebody else's opinion. So I did. So get even coached. as a coach, you have a coach. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Because there's the, there's the coach muscle, but then there's the acting muscle. And it's yes. a little different because when you're coaching, you're outside of it watching when you're and so there's of course I got to do what I tell my clients to do so that helps without a doubt tremendously but there's something about 
having someone else watch me and dig and poke around, you know? And so I work with a guy named Guy Camilleri and he's great, pushed me around a little bit, you know? Okay. And um, so, so what I, my process is this, I, um, I did a, I did a, a, a bio, you know, a lot of research on cricket. And I talked to a couple of my girlfriends who were married to um, men, white men, just kind of talked about what that was like for both of them and, you know, out in the world and how people judge them or not or accept them, et cetera. Um, looked, at, looked up Monty. I was so, you know, tickled to be with Martin Mull and, you know, all that he's accomplished. He's iconic. And, I, you know, and so I allow myself to continue to let that bio evolve based on what I learn about the story. Yes. And by the way, they're so great, Dean and them. They let me meet with the writers and we got to talk and from my personality and, and that exchange they came up with some things that i had shared um so week to week it's it, you know i kind of always go back and read that bio and try to stay on task of who cricket is and then i deal with it the same way i would with anything else what am i really saying what do i need how do i feel about gina you know and i sometimes make personal connections and but now i don't have to anymore because she and i have our real connection so it's you know it's it's always what is the story what is the story i'm telling right yeah. and what's my part in it you know what voice do i have in this in this kind of like um uh, uh tapestry if you will of, of this episode because it's about being a team player it's not about yeah. trying to outdo outshine you know show them i'm good and you know it's it's just stick with the story the role has been written it's been written well and just what is the piece? What's the piece that they need from you? Yeah. You know, it occurs to me based on our earlier conversation, you, you know, the, the show deals with the dark, right? Death and breakups, <laughs> yeah. obituaries. But, you know, it does it with with a lighter tone. Yes. Do you think that that enables us to address some difficult topics a little easier yeah. or a little deeper even than than maybe dramas can i'm so glad you said that i think the comedy that this blend of comedy and then like we said the dark is the perfect medium uh, or 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 genre if you yeah. will in in addressing some of those things that is hard to address in real life and you know my son is funny he's like my my buddy and he's um you know watched me well since he was born <laughs> you know and he, <laughs> and he talks about <laughs> he talks about how there are other ghost movies on and there's dark movies and there's the vampires and not putting any of that down there's, there's a place for everything right but he said you know mom while there's there's so much going on in this world and so much darkness it's nice to be on a show he's so happy that I'm on a show that takes darkness and brings it to the light, you know, and, oh, we find the light in the darkness. Absolutely. You know, and I come from a family, my grandmother, my mother's mother was clairvoyant and she was a preacher. And she kind of believed in spirits and things like that. And, you know, we're like, wait a minute, who's in the room? You know, <laughs> you, know <sir? laughs> you see who you feel what, you know, <laughs> but I've always been kind of a believer that, you know, we move on and there's this other realm and this is other existence, like not to be so arrogant to think that maybe this is just it, that there might be other energies and, and life beyond us. And this explores it in such a funny way, in such a sweet way. And it, who better to get life 
advice from, but from those who've already lived it and have no more choices. Yeah. We still have, and I think the me, the meaning, you know, there's different messages each week, but at the end, at the at the base of those messages is the idea that we still have a choice. We can still make a difference, right? And That's I think right. that is hopeful and it's uplifting and it's necessary. So I'm so proud. I actually wrote an affirmation out. I don't know if you've ever done this. Like when I was broken, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to act again. I'll quit. <laughs> I'm done. And then my agent's like, you got an audition. I'm like, okay. (laughs) And so someone said, well, write down what you want. And when I tell you, I wrote down two things I'll share. I know we're running out of time. One was, I thank the universe as if it's already happened. Thank you for a a role on a show that matters like This Is Us. And then I booked This Is Us. And then later I was like, thank you for a show where there's mutual regard between me and the creators and the cast on a show that's meaningful and a role that touches the hearts of my audiences. And then here comes this show, right? And people say, oh, cricket is warm and I love cricket. And this show matters. People are, you know, someone, there's a widow's, um, I have a friend whose mother is part of a widow's club. And they are, they love cricket. And they're like, they're feeling like every week they're getting some sense of closure. And I was like, wow, you know. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So I hope that answered your question. But I think it's the perfect avenue to explore some of those those feelings, those hurts, and maybe come to some some place of hope. It was a perfect answer. Let me just, let, let me tell you this. This is true. I was recently asked why... I enjoy doing this podcast. And my answer is because of the conversation we just had. Oh. Getting to meet you and talk to you and your incredible career and the diversity of your career, what you've been able to accomplish from where you started. And uh, it's just so, uh, like, my day is better. Mm. My, my day mm. is better for having had this conversation with you. So I'm going to say to you right now, something that I never thought that I would say, give my best to Dean Holland and Marla Gibbs, (laughs) (laughs) your mom and my old friend Dean. And, uh, thank you so, so very much for sharing a little bit of your story, a fraction of your story with me and with the listeners. And Brian, I, again, I'm a huge fan of yours. So when I had this, op- I saw this opportunity come through. I was so tickled, and you have made my day. Thank you so much for having me. Great questions, too. By the oh, way, you stumped me you. a couple of times. I'm like, no, <laughs> made me think. <laughs> oh, thank <laughs> you. To you, have a beautiful week, and thank you so much for having me. Hope we get to meet a real person. Me too. Hug. Very, very soon. Yes, indeed. Angela, thank you so much for joining me today. This is the beginning. It is not the end. I had so much fun. I can't wait now to tune in to Not Dead Yet. And listeners, you should do the same. And I will catch you all next week for another exciting episode of Off the Beat. We're going to have more stories. We're going to have more laughs, more everything. You just call me 
Mr. Moore. Well, not, not like Roger Moore, not Michael Moore. Just, you know what? Just, just call me Moore and come back next week. Off the Beat is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Liz Hayes, Hannah Harris, and Emily Carr. Our talent producer is Ryan, Papa Zachary, and our intern is Sammy Katz. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by the one and only Creed Bratton. If you're a smoker or dipper looking to make a change, you really only need one reason to do it. But with Zen Nicotine Pouches, you can find many. Zen is America's number one nicotine pouch. It's made with only six simple ingredients. Plus, Zen is the only nicotine pouch with a 10-day hassle-free trial. There are lots of options when it comes to nicotine satisfaction, but there's only one Zen. Find your Zen online or in a store near you at zen.com find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you love comedy movies and Hollywood satire, you're going to want to listen to a brand new podcast called Get It to Dutch. In Get It to Dutch, we play three aspiring screenwriters on a quest to get a script to big-time Hollywood producer Dutch Huxley. Each week on the podcast, we perform a movie script right before your ears. It's like going to a movie with your eyes closed. And we have amazing guest stars, including Tim Robinson, Rob Hubel, Lily Sullivan, Jamie Moyer, and Weird Al Yankovic. Listen to Get It to Dutch, a screenwriter's journey, starting May 9th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.